Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast. We'll talk some Southeastern Conference hoops with Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Always great to have you with us. Chris, what's going on? Hey, man, it's been a wild week of hoops, a wild week in general. Uh, as we could probably say for the last eight months, uh, never a dull moment. But this SEC season is heating up. And, and if there's one thing we've learned in the first week or so of SEC play, it's that this league is every bit as tough as advertised. You had Tennessee and Missouri rolling right in, and, and they've already uh, suffered losses. Alabama has looked like the best team so far. Well, let's start with the Crimson Tide. It's a, it's a nice time to be in Tuscaloosa. Alabama has a football playoff win. They have a Heisman Trophy winner as of last night and a 3-0 and start in basketball in the SEC. They beat Ole Miss at home. They played great in winning in Knoxville against Tennessee on Saturday. And then they beat a really good Florida team, 86-71 on Tuesday. They got good balance, good bench production with 36 points. Nate Oates, who's been a guest on our podcast, uh, has his team uh, off and running in, in the SEC play. He really does. I mean, we, we ranked Alabama number 14 in, in Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook's preseason poll. And I, I think a couple of people might have thought we had taken leave of our senses or maybe had smoked something uh, that isn't quite legal in, in our state. But uh, that wasn't the case. I just thought that this was a team that was going to be really aggressive and that it was constructed, uh, you know, in the mold of its head coach. And Coach Oates is aggressive. Uh, we've talked about it on the show before. His mantra is uh, twos at the rim, kick out threes and free throws. And, and if you look at what they've done, they're not shooting great from three, just 32% as a team, but they've already made and three three-pointers, and they've got one, two, three, four guys that have made more than ten or more threes. So they've got threats all over the map. Uh, they've got four double-figure scores. And uh, Jordan Bruner, the Yale transfer, hasn't had quite the impact that I thought he would, but he's yeah. a versatile big that they can play through, and he can block shots. So they've sort of got all the ingredients. They're long, uh, uh, rangy. They, they play aggressive defense. They really just took Tennessee out of its game, which surprised me. It really did. From start to finish, they led. And then, you know, they took out Florida at home. So, And then, of course, Ole Miss as well. Uh, prior to that, they'd lost three times. I, I think Stanford busted them on the beak a little bit in, yeah. in, in Asheville in the, in the, quote, Maui or whatever. It ended up being called Invitational. Best game probably Stanford's played. And then they lost to Clemson, and this was kind of an upset, but maybe not. Lost to Western Kentucky, your, your alma mater, mm-hmm. uh, by a basket. But since then, they, they've won four in a row. And um, I think this is a team that will be reckoned with all year long. I, I think that uh, they out Auburn, Auburn, if you will. <laughs> uh, Auburn jacks threes. Uh, the difference between Alabama and the way Bruce Pearl's best teams have played, I, I think I – think, Alabama's defense or the way Nate Oates wants it played uh, is as relentless and uh, just nasty as, as it comes. I know they didn't – he said it on our podcast. They didn't play defense to his liking last year, but certainly they've got guys now. I mean, he goes he goes 10 deep legitimately. And, and even last night they played without uh, uh, Javon Quinterly, their starting point guard, and still managed to beat uh, Florida – pretty handily so you know that shows you the versatility of a guy like herbert jones i think who took over at the point so this is a good team kevin 
I was surprised they beat Florida like that. I saw the Gators uh, against Vanderbilt last Wednesday uh, at Memorial, and I thought even without Keontae Johnson, who's a really versatile player and, and terrific scorer for them, they still had a lot of firepower. Uh, Scotty Lewis, if that guy's not the best athlete in the SEC, he's definitely in the conversation. Colin Castleton has looked yeah. good. The Michigan transfer, who was, I think he was kind of the odd man out in Ann Arbor, and, and he's, you know, been a real inside presence for Florida, played well in their game against LSU. I, I was surprised they lost like that against Alabama. I, I thought that, uh, that one would be quite a bit closer than it was, but I, I still think Florida's probably a top five team in this league this season. I, I was pretty impressed with those guys. Uh, as for Tennessee and Missouri, uh, they're the league's only ranked teams coming into the week. Uh, Chris, I think the Vols will be fine. They're good defensively. They just shot poorly against Alabama. Tide's defense was good in that game. Uh, four out of 21 from three uh, was Tennessee in that one. Uh, I was a little surprised that Missouri lost by 15 at Mississippi State. Uh, Tigers went five of 18 from three in that one. The Bulldogs got it done a whole lot at, at the free throw line, uh, 19 of 21 at the stripe. Uh, Tolu Smith, Iverson, Molinar, and DJ Stewart combined for 59 of their 78. So uh, Missouri and Tennessee, I think they'll both be fine, especially Tennessee. Missouri, I'll be a little more interested to watch how Conzo's team does as they make their, their way through SEC play now. Yeah, we, we talk about this all the time, that the absence uh, of the three-point goal, it, it does a couple of things. One, it, it, it doesn't allow you to build – like insurmountable type leads and two, it, it doesn't allow you to overcome insurmountable leads. If you can't shoot any better than 26% from three, which I think they are, they're shooting around that number. So that's the only concern I, I have for Missouri. Otherwise, obviously they play tough. Conzo's a, a good coach. Uh, and there is kids play hard and, you know, sort of that produced system. So I think they'll be all right. Tennessee. You know, not making excuses for them. We we don't make excuses on this show. Uh, uh, but they played without Jane Springer, uh, the freshman who had, you know, become a double-figure scorer. He turned his ankle early, and he was the guy they could have used. Uh, a small sample size, but I think he was shooting 70% from three uh, or somewhere around there, seven of ten. They could have used him, and – Eve Pond's gotten foul trouble in that game. He had only made seven personal fouls the whole year before yeah. that. Got in foul trouble and, and was limited. And then th- this is funny. R- Rick Barnes, I saw in his Monday press conference, he was kind of mad at John Fulkerson for not D'ing up. And he said after uh, he looked at the film, uh, well, he benched John, uh, in, late in the game. And after he looked at the film, he kind of recanted that and said, you know, John, played as well as he can. He kind of got left in an island because uh, Tennessee was not guarding uh, Alabama's uh, penetration. And that's really what sets up everything. If you can stop Alabama from getting into the paint, uh, you do two things. One, you prevent that twos at the rim that Coach Oates likes to talk about. And and two, you maybe you can prevent those kickout threes. So uh, Tennessee will get better. Jaden Springer is back, uh, I saw in, in Coach Barnes's press conference. And they play Arkansas, a, a team similar to, uh, as we tape this, uh, they'll play on Wednesday night. But it's a team similar to Alabama. They'll take a lot of threes. But Arkansas is, is without a key cog. Justin Smith, the 6'7", 230-pound grad transfer from Indiana, he was averaging, you know, to his credit, about the same – production that he did at Indiana, 11 and a half points, seven 
0.1 boards. And you take a guy like that out of the lineup, that's tough to overcome. He's, I think he hurt his ankle or I, yeah. he's out for a while. He, he underwent surgery. I know that. Yeah, Arkansas, uh, they lost at home to Missouri after they won at Auburn to uh, start off SEC play. So, yeah, Tennessee and, and Arkansas on this Wednesday night. Uh, Vanderbilt, I, I thought they gave their fans some hope with uh, that close loss to Kentucky on Tuesday. There was a stretch toward the end, kind of middle toward the end of the first half. I thought it was about as well as they played the whole season. They led by nine. A turnover led to a Kentucky basket that cut to seven at the break. Uh, Wildcats came out and, and tied up the game, and then it was close all the way to the very end. Max Evans uh, it took the second of two chances to tie in the closing seconds after Mintz made the big three on the other end. Uh, that ball hit the rim three times, also hit the backboard before it fell off at the buzzer. But, you know, talking to Jerry Stackhouse after the game, I think he, he felt like they, they took a step forward even in a, a tough road loss on Tuesday. Yeah, that that game surprised me. And, and again, you know, we were talking about Dante Allen of Kentucky. Um, I don't think that – I don't think that Kentucky wins without that kid. I don't think they win at Mississippi State without that kid. So they could be 0-2 mm-hmm. in the league. Meant to ask you, that you're a Kentucky native. Uh, that was your first game uh, as voice of the Commodores against Kentucky. Now, I know it wasn't the same because you weren't actually at Rupp uh, uh, in front of 20-some thousand fans but uh, how was that experience? It's a very different experience this year because we're not traveling um for any of the SEC games, it's kind of the, the way the uh, way it's set up is sort of the rules this year. You, you do all the the uh, road games remotely, so you just it didn't have the same feel in, in any way. Um, I, I did a Belmont game at Rupp back in 2013. It, it's a really cool experience to sit there and just look around at just how many people are in there for one thing. But it's just a you know one, one of the great experiences in college basketball. But uh, you know when, when the game starts, it's kind of any other game, and uh, it's. it's I know we'll talk to Tom Leach in a little bit, but it's just such a challenge to call games remotely off a, off a TV screen because just so many things you can't see. Like so much of, of calling games yeah. is about watching the officials and watching players come in and out and see, you know, kind of what's going on that, that, you know, when you get the, the broader picture of the floor and, and the, and the game itself. So you feel like you miss a whole lot of stuff and you can't always see the clock very well, but, uh, you just sort of do the best you can and, and hope your audio feed is somewhere close to the video feed you're receiving, which uh, is uh, very challenging to sync up, uh, as we found out. But it was still a neat experience. Uh, I, I was disappointed for Vanderbilt that they, they couldn't at least get it to overtime and maybe play five more minutes there. They, they sure played great. I, I thought that was – and stretches in that game was as well as they played uh, the, the season so far. I, I think for Vanderbilt, their best – best option is to kind of play small ball to play to sue at the five and then to play you know guards or kind of medium-sized guys around him uh, i think that gives them the best chance to win you know i i like i said i i was kind of hopping between uh, sec games uh, on tuesday night and when i turned over there and saw that score i i thought wow vanderbilt is is really hanging tough and uh, you know some of that's a byproduct of there not being any fans at rough i'm sure but Scotty Pittman, uh, I think he's becoming uh, – whoever it was, it, I, I can't remember the analyst, uh, said that he was the best player on the floor. So, uh, you know, it's it's funny that even in their struggles in recent years, uh, Vandy has, has had some individual talent. Uh, you, you could say that. Uh, often they might have had the best individual player on the floor, but unfortunately it takes four or five yeah. more to – to kind of get over the hump there, and that's what Vanderbilt's still looking to try to do. 
Yeah, Scotty Pippen Jr. has just had a terrific season so far. He's been either first and second in the SEC in scoring, and um, the, the thing for them is he, he has to get his points without taking an extraordinary amount of shots to, to get there, um, and, and that's going to be kind of the trick. He has to be efficient in getting those points. Ben, he, he almost had a triple-double in that, that game against Kentucky. Uh, he's He's been really good, and uh, I talked to him yesterday a little bit about the pressure that comes with everybody knowing that you're the guy and, and the kind of attention he's going to get. He's going to get the other team's best defender every game. And he said, yeah, it's kind of fun. I sort of relish that, but I understand that more is on my shoulders. Chris, our guest is here. He is none other than the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats and one of the great voices in college sports, Tom Leach. Tom, what's going on? Just uh, surviving in our crazy world that we're in these days. Yeah, I think that goes for all of us. Uh, for Kentucky, it's been a crazy start to the season. One and six, but won the first two in SEC play. Razor-thin wins over uh, Mississippi State and against Vanderbilt. You know, it, it's funny to think about, you know, those things. Those games go the other way. You're looking at a different situation, but, uh, but a good start in SEC play for this group. Yeah, I mean, right now they just desperately needed uh, some good things to happen. Uh, so they picked up a couple of wins. They had you know, stretches of, of uh, much improved play, starting to find a, a, a you know, the right combinations. Uh, in the Vandy game, they scored 77 points in regulation. Uh, it was the first time that they had gotten above 64 in regulation since they beat Moorhead in the opener. And, you know, it's, it's hard to win scoring right. 64 or less points. So they have uh, now maybe started to come up with a formula that they can score enough points to give themselves a chance. They're you know, pretty good defensively, getting better. So uh, it, you're starting to see you know the the light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, Tom, it looks like Cal has uh, gone to his shooters. So obviously, we we know what. Dante Allen can do, and and Mintz is a great three-point shooter, too, and he made a huge one against Vandy. So uh, it's no stretch to suggest that that those guys are kind of helping transform things, is it? Yes, uh, I'm sure a lot of of us that analyze and watch college basketball were all on the same page, knowing that the uh, key uh, group for Kentucky would be Devin Askew, Davian Mintz, and Dante Allen on this team. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but that's uh, the the guys that do analytics uh, for a few weeks now have uh, made the point that uh, Kentucky's best lineups always included Askew and Mintz. Uh, the Kentucky was making huge numbers of turnovers early, and those two guys uh, gave them uh, better defense on the perimeter and uh, better handling of the basketball, and so their, their turnovers uh, were going down. So. For a couple of weeks, it's you know we've been seeing a longer stretches of those guys playing well together. Terrence Clark's hurt right now, uh, the right leg injury. Don't you know? I don't think it'll be long, long term, but maybe into the game or two. Who knows? B.J. Boston is just uh, struggling incredibly at the moment. And kid from Kentucky that the fans were clamoring to to uh, get to see action, Dante Allen. And in the Vandy game, you, you saw some examples probably of some of the defensive issues that might have uh, kept him from getting out there earlier. But when he finally got his chance to shine down at Mississippi State, he made seven threes. And going back to the point about you know, finding enough points, I think Cal's you know, in the Hall of Fame for a reason. He knows that no matter what the, the rankings are, the stars or whatever on, on somebody's name, uh, this kid uh, helps them open up the floor, gives them a chance to, to come up with a formula 
to score enough points to have a chance to beat good teams. And so uh, I think he's a, you know, Cal doesn't like the idea of living with some defensive lapses to get the offense. That's not kind of who he is, but mainly who he is is winning. And uh, this gives him the best chance to win. So like Dante Allen has uh, carved out his, his role now. And, uh, you know, if he can get better defensively, it'll only grow. I, um, I know you had Keaton uh, Belcher uh, on your show and, He's a friend of Kevin's and now has become a friend of mine. I, I'm doing a, a story on Dante this week. He told me that for four years, he played varsity five years, but for four years from ninth grade through 12th, when Keaton Belcher was the, the coach, he showed up every morning at 6 a.m. for two hours of shooting before school started. So uh, Keaton Belcher, as you know, you had him on your show, like I said, was not surprised at this outburst. He knew that once uh, once one went in and that kid saw it, somebody was going to be hurting. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Dante, when you watch him play uh, for an extended stretch, two things stand out. Really quick release. So, you know, he's 6'6". He has the biggest hands on the team. He has the second longest wingspan. Uh, great form. So, you know, unless you come with a guy that's that's taller, he's even going to be able to, you know, even if he's defended, uh, he just needs a, a slight bit of room to be able to get the shot off. And number two, he knows how to score and how to set up shots. Last night they were really uh, pressing out on him, as you would expect after the Mississippi State game. So he was able to uh, get some shots, uh, one to the rim, one a, a pull-up. Uh, so it, he, he's not strictly catch and shoot, although that's, you know, probably the thing he does best, but he knows how to set up shots. So he knows how to score. And so um, I, I think he is uh, certainly uh, the tonic for what has ailed this team right now because they were just struggling to put the ball in the basket. And so this is a guy that can do that and make free throws, make some better free throw shooting team. Uh, he uh, hit four out of four against Vandy. And uh, that's something they were struggling at. And, uh, you know, sometimes the, the, the game's not the – game, the game can be simple in some ways. Yeah. Kyle May, the great free throw shooter at Kentucky, coached at Moorhead. His teams were always among the highest uh, in free throw shooting. And we would ask him, you know, Kyle, what's, you know, what do you do? What drills do you do? What special things do you do? He said, we get the right guys shooting free throws. And so if you have 70 and 80% shooters and those are the guys that get fouled, you're going to be a 70 or 80% free throw shooting team. And Dante Allen, you know, helps them there. So uh, they uh, are finding ways to put the pieces together to be a little more hard to guard. And, uh, you know, when they were shooting so poorly, Sar was getting in foul trouble, they were a lot easier to guard. Tom Leach is our guest, the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats. You mentioned Olivier Sar. He hit 14 out of 17 from the foul line against Vanderbilt. Is that part of the secret to success for him to try to get him to the stripe as much as possible? Well, he, I think... Two things. He, um, they're trying to get him to, to play a little tougher, to be a little more physical. And the other thing is he was getting into foul trouble. And that was a problem at Wake as well. And maybe that gets into his head where he's trying to play without fouling. And so maybe it takes away some aggressiveness. So, uh, they're uh, trying to get him to play a little lower. And, uh, you know, they really want to play through him offensively. And, uh, you can see, see why he's hard to defend. He can, mm-hmm. uh, step out and face up and, hit shots he can even make threes 
And then he's got really nice footwork around the basket to a little nice jump hook that he made a couple of against Vandy. So he is their uh, probably most versatile scorer from low post to perimeter and uh, a guy that is hard to guard. And so uh, if he can be a little more physical and um, get to the line, he's, you know, he's a pretty good free throw shooter sure. too, as we saw in this game. So, um, you know, he's the guy that they want to kind of run their offense through and, they, they said that after the big comeback of the second half against Notre Dame in mid-December, looked like maybe they were getting on track then. And then Olivier went two games without even making a basket. Uh, Terrence Clark, they put him at the point, and then he got hurt and was struggling. And so all of a sudden what looked like the plan um, wasn't the plan. Now it looks like they're starting to kind of settle on something that uh, can help them, give them a chance to win. It'd be great if they could get Boston going and get Clark healthy too. Tom, everybody gets up in arms about a one and six start, but how much of it do you think is a product of just not having a normal off season program and so few non conference games to, to really get you ready for what's ahead? Yeah, that's uh, certainly a part of it. Um, uh, Mike DeCourcy, we all know, I had him on uh, one of my shows recently. He he just pulled Texas Tech out of the air, but you could have uh, t- taken other teams, and he said, "Look at who Kentucky has played," and. You know, it's, it's not a vintage Carolina team or a Notre Dame team, but they're still better than, you know, a, uh, a team that's, you know, 240 in the Ken Palm or something. Sure. And Texas Tech was playing like six of those and plus Houston. And so they were six and one in the non-conference. Mm-hmm. He said if Kentucky had played that schedule, they'd be six and one, even being who that they are. So they had to play, um, teams that were, they, they didn't get, other than the first game against Moorhead, they didn't get any quote unquote easy wins. Um, then they were completely new. The only returning guys, Keon Brooks has been hurt. He hadn't played yet. Um, then you have a, uh, you know, a pandemic and you had a little turnover in the coaching staff where you have a couple of new guys come in that are great coaches, but just are new. And so you have a new team, a couple of new coaches. Oh yeah. Pandemic and uh, the schedule. And so it all kind of comes together and they, you know, they could have, uh, you know, beating Kansas, uh, you know, had a, a nice lead, a double-digit lead early on Carolina. They had, you know, if they'd won two or three of those games, it wouldn't have been quite, uh, you know, to DEFCON 2. And, Tom, I was watching the the Kentucky-Vanderbilt game, and, I, and the announcer gave a neat little factoid that that I had forgotten when in the days when, when you called high school games, you called a game that uh, Talbert Turner, I guess it was in the state playoffs. And a lot of people don't know this, but Pendleton County where Dante Allen went to high school, I think it's the only school in Kentucky that has two 3000 point career scores. Uh, do you remember yeah. that Talbert Turner game in the playoffs? Yeah. Um, it was 1984. Um, and there are 35 wow. kids that have scored 3000 or more points in Kentucky. And, um, uh, Pendleton County has two, Talbert, uh, who finished up in 84, and, uh, and Dante Allen. And I was doing high school games for Station of Mount Sterling at the time, and we did the 10th region final in uh, Bourbon County. My actual high school alma mater beat Pendleton County. So I was telling Tom Hart yesterday at practice, we were talking about Dante. I said, yeah, I did Talbert Turner's last high school game. Uh, I think he went on maybe and played at, at Moorhead. Uh, here's another one you guys can win a bar bet with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know if Tom, you, Tom Hart used this one last night or not. I gave it to him. I said, I'm going to use this in the pregame, so I'll, I'll have used it. If you want to use it, you're welcome to. Uh, on that list of 35 guys who have scored 3,000 points at Kentucky high school basketball, four have played for the Wildcats. Allen, 
And I'll give you two of the others, Chris Harrison and Tim Stevens from small high schools in Kentucky. Any chance you could give me the fourth? Wow. I don't think it's Josh Carrier from Bowling Green High School, is it? Yep. That's that's a, a good guess, Josh. His his dad actually is on the list, Daryl. Yep, Daryl. Colonels. Yeah. Uh, Tim Couch is the fourth. Oh one. wow! <laughs> wow! That's why you get, you have to set up the question by say played for the Wildcats and not played basketball. Yeah, so Tim, if Tim Tim could have played Division One basketball too. Tom, as we finish up here, I'm always fascinated with, with what people have in their backgrounds. We, we tease Chris about his book collection, which are our actual books that he's read. Uh, what, what do you have back there behind I you? I, I can't tell if those are like jockey silks or, or, or what you have yeah. going on back there. Uh, where I grew up uh, in Bourbon County, a little town called Paris, uh, one of our um, most famous entities is Claiborne Farm, where uh, Secretariat yeah. lived out uh, his years as a, as a stallion and uh, – one of the leading thoroughbred operations. And so I have uh, Claiborne silks. I do some horse racing stuff. There's uh, over in the uh, corner there, there's a football bowl picture. If we could turn this around, I've got a, a Kentucky basketball jersey hanging up that Bill Kitely gave me and a Kaywood Ledford uh, print. <laughs> wow. Tom, always a lot of fun to visit with you. Really appreciate the time this morning and all the best to you guys. And uh, the challenge gear for calling games or just playing games in general. Happy to chat with you guys. Glad to do it anytime. We will all cross our fingers that we could actually see each other at the <laughs> SEC tournament. That would be nice. Oh, I hope so. That sounds like a great I plan. That was Tom Leach, voice of the Kentucky Wildcats. We appreciate uh, Tom joining us. And he, he has for years on our uh, shows we've done, Chris. And uh, always a, a great guest. And he, he's one of the best play-by-play announcers you'll find anywhere. Yeah, I thought it was cool. You know, I had asked him about his high school uh, Play-by-play days, and you started the same way, didn't you? I did, yep. I, I called uh, I, I, games uh, in, in south-central Kentucky uh, during my younger years, and it, it was a lot of fun to go to all those gyms, and I know Tom can tell you the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I teach and, and I a, a sports media class, and I always tell these kids, you know, you have got to start at that level, and if you dream big, you just might end up behind the mic of an SEC team one day. So <laughs> we had two of you guys on one show. That's pretty good. Kind of look at our uh, SEC schedule coming up. Just look ahead to Saturday. Vanderbilt will host Mississippi State. Tennessee will play at Texas A&M. Kentucky will be at Florida. Alabama at Auburn. Georgia at Arkansas. South Carolina Ole Miss. LSU will play at Missouri. So a little taste of what's ahead. Well, Chris, uh, one thing we're going to have to do on our show is is find another TV show to analyze since The Mandalorian is uh, is blasted off for this season. So uh, we'll work on that and, and make sure our listeners stay up to date on, on the top viewing that's available out there. Uh, we, we definitely need to. Uh, it's a shame the, the, the Queen's Gambit uh, uh, ship has sailed. That dropped on Netflix in, in October, and I was a little slow getting uh, on the party, but a, a tweet by Stephen King finally <laughs> – Everybody had been telling me you got to watch Queen's Gambit, and I saw a tweet from him, and and I thought, man, I got to do it. So I watched it, and it's great. It's about chess. I'm going to warn you. Okay. Uh, but it's really kind of a sports movie, and I actually ended up buying uh, the the novel, and uh, a guy named Walter Tevis wrote it. He also wrote The Color of Money and The Hustler, which were both turned into movies with Paul Newman. And he also wrote The Man Who Fell to Earth, a movie with David Bowie. So uh, I'm looking forward to reading the rest of his uh, literary canon. Uh, I'm really enjoying the the novel version of Queen's Gambit. And the Netflix series was awesome. 
this young actress, Anna Taylor Joy, she just embodied the character of Beth Harmon. I'll say no more about, about it than that. But, uh, if you haven't seen it, I, it's, I think it was Netflix's most watched all time, uh, limited series. They don't call it mini series anymore. Yeah. It's a limited series. Uh, it was so good. In fact, that they were thinking about doing a, another season and it's like, you can't do that. You know, it, <laughs> it's sort of ended perfectly, but you yeah. know, I guess for the right amount of money, they could do it. You mentioned the color of money. That's one of my favorite movies. And, uh, it, it's, it's, great. It, it's, it's based on the hustler, right? It was in a fast Eddie Felsen was the, uh, the character. Fast and- it, it's a kind of, a I guess a sequel. Uh, and like I said, Walter Tevis, the, the, uh, novelist wrote both of those books and I, I need to get them now because I'm reading The Queen's Gambit and really enjoying that. It's a lot like uh, one of my favorite all-time movies is Rounders. And I've never played the first game of poker. I, I have no idea the terminology. But I can watch that movie. I can be clicking uh, through the dial at any point and continue it. I've seen it probably 50 times. And, uh, you know, uh, Matt Damon, Ed Norton, it's, it's a great film. And uh, Queen's Gambit is similar to that. I know nada, uh, jack all about chess, <laughs> but uh, they just made it interesting and uh, really kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like the chess version of Hoosiers. Uh, uh, you know, again, I don't want to give away uh, anything until we actually get in, if we ever did review it and, and we always w- warn against spoilers. So, <laughs> I, I guess in this case, maybe the, the castle move is like the picket fence or something like that. So, uh. yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can make it. Yeah, that's right. No, I'll make it. I'll make it. Chris, always a lot of fun. Uh, we'll do it next time. Appreciate the time, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Take care.